Hey, good morning, church. I hope you're doing good today. I am sharing the gospel with hundreds of teenagers at a Youth Alive camp this week. So would you pray for me as I share the gospel with these teenagers? And today you have the privilege to hear from my friend, Dr. Heath Thomas. Heath is the president of Oklahoma Baptist University. He is an Old Testament scholar. Uh, we've been friends for years, have taught at Student Leadership University events uh, really for decades. And, and today he's going to open the word of God for you. I want you to put your hands together and welcome Dr. Heath Thomas to the stage. Well, good morning. It is great to be with you, Battle Creek. It is great to uh, uh, give you greetings from Oklahoma Baptist University, where I serve as president. And are there any alums out there or online? Anybody out there? Good. It's great to hear you. I'm an alum of OBU. My brother is too. And I got to tell you how awesome it is to be with you. Listen, Alex and I, as he said, have been friends for a very long time. So church, if you need any good stories, I've got them, right? And I'm willing to share, right? So, well, listen, I'm excited to be with you because I have something important to share with you today from God's Word. Now listen, what I've got to share, I've been kind of praying through what is it that I think the Lord's laid on my heart. And what I can tell you is the message that I believe we need to hear today is important for you and me because if we get our arms around it, our head around it, I believe it will change our lives. So how many of you have an iPhone or some other de lesser device? Oh, the groans. It was serious, right? You have an, a, a phone. Okay, wave it at me. Okay. Someone's on Instagram. That's not good. Right? So on my phone, if I open up my, my home screen, one of the things that happens on the settings app is... If I press settings, you'll see quite often you'll have a little bit, uh, a red dot with a number in that, right? You know what I'm talking about? A little red dot with a number. And what that signifies is an update. Your phone needs an update. And uh, usually, you know, there's one or two or it'll update overnight, but you, sometimes you have to press it and say, I want that update. Now, why do I say that to you and to me? Because I believe today, if we receive the message that God has for us from his word, it will be an update to our lives. And just like your phone updates, why do you need it? Well, if you don't, then you could be exposed to malware. You could be exposed to some sort of deficiency, some sort of bug that a new update will actually make your system work better. Today, I believe that God's Word is going to provide an update to our lives so that our lives can work better. Our lives can be protected from some sort of corruption that could ruin our system. And God's Word, we're going to learn about today a four-letter word of power. And what is that word? L O. V-E, love, love. Now, this four-letter word of power actually is uh, often talked about, but it's often misunderstood. And so today, from God's Word, we're going to get clarity on what love is, what it's not, and what it means for your life and for mine. And we're going to get this from the teaching of a guy named John. 
Now, if you don't know who John is, let me break that open for you. John was the beloved disciple. He's one of the big three. He's one of, uh, you know, the closest inner circle of Jesus. So John, Peter, and James spent a lot of time getting to know Jesus. And they began to understand a lot more what his values and his virtues were, what are his priorities. And John really interestingly, focuses a lot of his books. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote three letters in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he also wrote the book of Revelation. So this guy knew something about Jesus, but he also knew some of the things that Jesus talked about the most. And apparently, one of the things that, that Jesus talked about most was love. So today, we're going to get an update to our life. We're going to learn how to love. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John, and I want to unpack it for you. 1 John chapter 4. And just kind of walk with me through this text. I'm going to flag a couple of things along the way, and then we're going to get into uh, what John says. Okay, so 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, some of your versions will read beloved, those who have been loved by God. That's one of John's favorite ways to talk about followers of Jesus, those who have been loved by God. Beloved, dear friends, let us love one another because God is, because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God. And you can hear the language in John chapter 4 here uh, when Jesus meets with Nicodemus and unless a man be born again, right? That's the language of Jesus. Jesus uh, John is picking it up here has been born of God and knows God. Any, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed. Some of your versions read, uh, God's love has been man manifest among us in this way. God sent his, own, his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God. And you gotta, you got to really understand this. Okay, so if you have a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, I don't know what you have. You might have your finger as you highlight it on your screen, right? You need to highlight verse 10. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the, some of your versions will read, propitiation. Right, that's a you know that's a, a ten cent word that that is highly theological charged. Here in this version, the Christian Standard Version, it says the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, again, beloved, verse eleven. If God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. I love this in verse twelve. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another. God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. It's almost like John is saying, no one's ever seen God, but if you're loving others, it's almost like the love of God is made visible in a real way in our world. So love. We're talking about love today. We're learning to love. Now, this passage is uh, pretty interesting because it really crystallizes, according to Christian tradition, one of the earliest teachings and latest teachings 
of the Apostle John. What you got to understand is when John, uh, when Jesus went up to heaven and John took over uh, and uh, began ministering with the other disciples, they started in Jerusalem and then they went to Judea and Samaria. And by the end of his life, John was ministering in what is uh, probably uh, Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. And uh, he was ministering. He had lived his life faithfully. That's what ministers do. They pour their lives out for the flock. And so here's John at the end of his life. First John is one of the latest letters of his life. And uh, one of the second century pastors, his name was Irenaeus. He said that when John would come into the worship services or the, the church services late in his life, he was so weak, he couldn't walk. So he had to be carried into the worship service. And like a good pastor, he has to give a message. And what was the message that he would give? He would be feeble and frail, be carried in, and he would turn and look at the congregation. And this was the message that he gave. Little children, love one another. That was his message. Love one another. That was an important message in John's life. He got it from Jesus. And in this passage, which really is, um, John has already talked about a number of things. He's already mentioned loving God and God is love already in the letter. But this fourth chapter is kind of like the exclamation point, the pinnacle that sums up what he's been talking about uh, in the previous three chapters. And it kind of leads towards the ending of the book of John. So this is a, a, a giant climax, a, a crescendo in the symphony of John's letter. So this is important, and you and I need to get our arms around it because it gives us an update to our lives. There are three things that John teaches that we need to hear today. And the first one is quite simply this. Check this out. Love is not God. And you'll, you'll see this pretty clearly in what he says, right? Love is not God. What does he say? He says, dear friends, verse 7, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Why? Check this out. Because God is love. Now, in our culture, we kind of get this flipped upside down. We think love is God, don't we? We think love is God. In fact, love can be so confusing that we can have a lot of diff different definitions for love. So this morning, what I'd like for us to do, I am a professor by training, right? I'd like us to do a little exercise. I want you to talk to your neighbor. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. So if you're online, listen to me. I want you to uh, put it in the chat section. Or if you're at another campus, y'all talk amongst yourself. 30 seconds, all right? I want you to define with your neighbor what is love. Define it, okay? I better hear some noise in the room, everybody. 30 seconds, get ready, go. What is love? And if you're online, uh, put it in the chat section. If you're at the other campuses, check it out, okay? Define love. I love to hear the noise in the room. Good. Love is defined many ways, isn't it? Someone's looking at their sweetheart saying, love is you. No, it's not. Come on. 
Couple more seconds. I'll give you five. Ready? Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. How did you do? What are some of the definitions of love that you provided? Well, there's a lot of them out there, right? When you look at our world, we have a lot of definitions of love. You know that old song, love is a feeling. There's like five of us in this room that know that. Well done. Good job. Some of us think about love as a feeling. It's an emotion. It's a sentimental kind of ooey-gooey feeling. That's love. Some of us think of love kind of like a force or a pit. I don't know what happened. I was just walking along and I fell. I fell in love. It was like there it was and I just I couldn't stop myself. I just fell. So love is this thing that we fall into. We have no power, but we fell. Some of us describe love as kind of romantic love. Oh, my sweet little thing, that, that, that person is just the person for me. I, I, I fell into that pit, and now I, I just I feel so special and loved. It's a romantic feeling. Some of us have remembered that song from the Beatles, Love is All We Need. Is that true? Is love all we need? Oh, I don't need food. I don't need sleep. I just need love. Well, in practice, that's just not true, right? So it's nice, sentimental, but probably not true. Love isn't all we need, right? Or what about this one? Love is something we make or do. In some of these, you might be saying, well, what's wrong with that? You know, there's some truth to that. And actually, that's true. There is some truth to each of these. We all want to affirm there is such a thing as romantic love, right? We all want to affirm that. Even if we can't define love by that romantic feeling, that kind of uh, romance. Uh, we all want to affirm that love is an overwhelming force. I mean, after all, my wife Jill, we've been married over two decades. We have four kids. Thank you. Thank you, two decades. That was a big deal. She is very patient. She is very kind. She's long-suffering. It's great. Yes, good, good. So when you think about love, if I just said, Jill, I, I think rationally, I, I really like you. You're a, a very kind person, and uh, you have uh, nice hair, and I think we should really get together and get married, and uh, I think this would be a really good rational move for us. I mean, no, this isn't a business deal, Right? This, there is something about the force of love. It is overwhelming. There, there is some truth to this, but that's not how John defines love. Love is not God. I'm talking to you, bachelor nation. I'm talking to you, bachelorette nation. Love is not God. It's more than that feeling. It's more than an act, something we make or do. In our culture today, we get things twisted. We like to say, love is God. And here's what I want to say to us. The kind of love that these options provide, these shoulders are not broad enough or big enough to carry the weight of our souls. There's only one pair of shoulders big enough for that, and that's God. 
See, what we need to understand is the Bible teaches very clearly love is not God, but John tells us what love is. God is love. So let me unpack this. Why is this important for you and for me? It's important because sometimes we get it twisted. Sometimes we think, if I just marry this person or pursue this relationship, then all of a sudden my greatest needs will be fulfilled. Then I'll be happy, healthy, and wise. And that's why we make bad decisions. Let me share one of these bad decisions. We abandon the things of God for a person because we think in that love relationship they will make me happy and fulfilled. My friends, it's not true. That person's shoulders are not broad enough or big enough to carry the weight of your soul. And so what happens is we go through people like a deck of cards, pursuing this relationship and that relationship, and it's like a revolving door. And we wonder, why can't I ever find love? I haven't been searching. I'm on the journey. Here's the reality. One of the reasons we might be disappointed is because we think love is God. But it's not. God is love. The vital point for us to hear and remember. So love isn't God. God is love. But what does that mean for you and me? John tells us not only is love not God, he also says that love has a source, and it's not us. So this is an important point for you and I to hear. Love has a source, and it's not us. Now, where do we go to find love? Well, oftentimes we go to a variety of different kinds of sources. We go to relationships like we've talked about. We go to romance like we've talked about. Here's some others that I think we should pay attention to in our, our culture. We go to uh, approval or acceptance. And what I mean by this is we'll go to a job and we'll say, you know, if I'm accepted in the job and I climb the ladder of success, then I will experience love. That's the source, the promotion, the retirement account, living in that neighborhood or this neighborhood. That's going to give me love and acceptance. You say, Heath, that's crazy. I don't think that way. You always know what your love is by how much time you spend on things, what your mind orients towards. So let's do a little self-assessment here. What do you think the most about? What consumes your passion, your desire? Is it a person? Is it a job site? Is it, uh, if I could just get in that neighborhood, then I'll be happy. If I, could just, if I could just drive the Tesla, I'll be happy. Maybe, maybe not. Why? Because those are passing loves. They're not eternal loves. Or what about this one? Social groups and belonging. Uh, if I just, you know, identify with this group or that group, if I identify as Republican or Democrat, now I'm messing, if I identify with this badge or that badge, then, then I'll have acceptance and love and belonging. 
And you say, Heath, why are you bringing that into it? I'll tell you why. Because what you need to understand is one of the reasons why John spent so much time. I mean, let's go back and look at it. Look at this. Verse 7. Look at what he says. Dear friends, or those who have been loved by God, beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Why does he spend so much time encouraging the church to love one another? I'll tell you why. Because they didn't love one another. In the churches in Asia Minor, one of the things that you see is they were divided by class, by politics, by community. Well, I'm of this tribe. I'm not of this tribe. I'm of this class, not of this class. And what happens when we always center our love reservoir on tribe or class or whatever, listen, what happens? We leave disappointed, but more than that, the church begins to get divided. And so John calls the people, the church, you and me, back to love. My friends, dear love, dearly loved, uh, beloved, dear friends, if you love God, then you got to love one another. See, the church had a problem that we have a problem with, too. We forgot how to love. If we're looking for love in these kinds of sources, we will be disappointed. It reminds me of this, and you say, oh, that's great, a little muddy uh, stream. That's wonderful, Heath. Why are you showing us this picture? Because it reminds me of my grandfather's lands. I'm from East Tennessee, and in East Tennessee, uh, in the mountains over there, that's where all of my people are from, okay? And my grandfather, his name is Calvin Kermit Hauser. Right? Great name. His, uh, we're uh, from Germany originally and immigrated down uh, the Appalachians, down to Tennessee. And my grandfather, his, his father and his grandfather and great-grandfather started a dairy farm. And in that dairy farm, uh, it was amazing. Uh, they did an incredible and served uh, the mountain community in East Tennessee. Now, my grandfather had land on this uh, farm in this area. And on that land, you have a creek, which is kind of a muddy little creek. But if you follow that creek up, there's a little, little tributary. And then if you follow that tributary up in the mountain, there's a little spring. That's the source of all the rest of the water. And when we would want to go get a drink, we would always go to the spring. We would go to the source where the water comes out of the side of the mountain. Now, why would we do this? Well, we did it because, listen to me, the spring was the purest, cleanest source of drinking water. It was cold. It was Waterford crystal clear. It was delicious. And so you'll see whenever, you know, a company wants to bottle up water, they don't go, uh, well, this is the Mississippi Delta water. Let me bottle that up and drink it. No, why? Because downstream of the source, there's all sorts of impurities in that thing. There's particles, there's probably pollution, you know, there's a fish scale in there. You don't want to drink that. There's too much stuff in there. You want to go to the source. Why? The source is the cleanest, the purest, the truest, the most nourishing and refreshing. Now, why do I tell you that story? 
because John reminds us there's only one source of love, and it's not us. It's not that job. It's not that neighborhood. It's not the likes or the hearts that tell me I'm worth something. The source of love that you and I long for can only be found in one place, and that's in God himself. So if you're looking for love in any of these others, you might have heard of this old uh, Dolly Parton song, Looking for Love. Maybe it's not Dolly Parton. Looking for love in all the wrong places. There's only one source of love, and that's in God himself. And to drive this point home, John makes this so clear, he even gives us a picture of what that looks like. Check this out. John shows us that love is not what we have done for God, but what God has done for us. Again, going back to our culture, we kind of get it twisted, don't we? We like to say, well, I'll tell you what, if I want to be in a relationship with God, God loves me if I do X, Y, and Z. God loves me when I clean myself up. God loves me if I do, you know, this, not go on this mission trip and that mission trip. And if I look this way and I act this way and I say this word, or God will love me when I serve him for 15 years and do all of these things, and then God will love me. Listen, that's not how God loves us. God's love is not a kind of if and when kind of love. God's love is God loves us, and because of that love, he did this. He did that. Love is not what we do for God. Love is what God has done for us. You say, well, how do you know? Check this out. Look at what the passage says. Love consists in this. This is verse 10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The atoning sacrifice for our sins. That word is actually, uh, in, in some of your versions, it reads propitiation. And what does that actually mean? The picture of God's love is God loves us, and because of that love, he does this. He demonstrates it. He shows what love is like. And this is propitiation. It literally means this. Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life because we are not sinless. He died a saving death for sin on the cross. And he atoned for your sins and mine. In other words, we can't save ourselves, but what Jesus did when he died on the cross for your sin and mine, he atoned for all of our sins. So I want us to think for just a minute. Think about your own life. If you're online, think about this wherever you are, across our campuses, think about this. Think about your existence in your life. Maybe just think about today or the past week. Can you flag areas where you have sinned? You've missed the mark. You've rebelled against God. You've hurt your neighbor with your words or your actions. Those are sins too. Think about that. Just think about it. Can you think of those moments where you've sinned even in the past week? Now, let's get real personal. Jesus died on the cross to atone for those sacrifices, uh, for those sins. 
He died on the cross to pay the penalty of that sin, which was death. And instead of giving us death, when he died on the cross for your sins and mine, he offers life to us as a free gift. And all we have to do is step across the line of faith and say, Jesus, I want to live for you and not for me. I confess you are Lord and I am not. I receive the free forgiveness of sins so that I might be called to your purpose, not mine, your purpose, and live for you today and live with you forever. That's what a propitiation is. That's what an atoning sacrifice is. You can't atone for your own sins and neither can I. So when John is talking about the love of God demonstrated, not what we do for God, but what God has done for us, he gives a picture, the picture of what love looks like. Jesus, who is the propitiation for your sin and mine so that you and I might be forgiven. And listen to this, I love this. Called to God's purposes so that we might have meaning and life and purpose now and forever. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. And let me just tell you, that's what love is. Not what we do for God, but what God has done for us. You see, love has a source, and it's not us. Third thing we need to see from this passage is very simple, but love flows to us and then through us. And look at what John says here in this passage. He says, verse 11, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, in what way? He gave his only son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's love manifested. If God loves us in this way, here's what he says. We must also love one another. And no one's ever seen God. If we love one another and God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. So what's John getting at? John's saying God's love, listen to this. God's love is meant to be shared. Do you see that? If God loved us in this way, by sending Jesus for us, then that same love needs to be shared. We got to love one another. Now, I wonder if we looked at our Instagram feeds or maybe if we looked at our Facebook, you know, everybody... Uh, 40, ages 40 and over has Facebook. Nobody else does, right? But if we look at our Facebook feed or Twitter feed or any other social media feed, what is characterizing that social media? Is it love of one another? Yikes. A little scary, isn't it? But John says it very clearly. God's love is meant to be shared. If we're not caught up in our little groups and focusing on our groups as the place or the source of love and we're looking to God, guess what's going to happen? That same sacrificial, that same self-giving love that characterizes God's love for us begins to characterize our lives as well. God's love is meant to be shared. Think about that hard person at your workplace. Think about that hard person in your family. Think about the uh, neighborhood uh, person who really, or the apartment complex person who, um, it's very difficult. Uh, Could you characterize your relationship with that person as one of love? I I don't agree with that person, but I love them. And they know it. See, God's love is meant to be shared. So how do we do that? 
how, how, do we, how do we allow God's love to flow through us? Well, first of all, we got to tap into the source of God's love. In other words, uh, if you're looking at other places, don't. Go to the source, God himself. Tap in there. And how do you do that in practical ways? Well, here, here's some basic ways. Prayer. Prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is the first and best reflex of the church. Secondly, worship. Why do we come here on a Sunday morning? Because life is brutal during the week. And we need to be refueled with the love of God every single week so that we can go out into the world one more week. Prayer, worship, scripture is third way. Tap into the source of God. Read God's word. Some of us don't do that, but we got to read God's word. And at this church, I know all across the campuses, you've got tons of reading plans and people who will love to help you connect with hearing God's ver- uh, voice from the Word of God. So you've got to tap into the source. Secondly, you've got to allow God's love to fill us. This is a spiritual thing where we allow God to fill us up so that we can flow that love through us. And then finally, allow God's love to flow through us. How's that expressed? Think about your community. You don't have to go overseas to a mission trip, although I would encourage you all to do that. It begins right where you are. Your friends, people at school, your coworkers, your community members. You don't have to invent ways to allow God's love to flow through you. Just look at the most needy areas in your community. That's the place where God's love needs to be found. Reminds me of this. Has anybody ever been to the Dead Sea? I love the Dead Sea. Uh, Alex mentioned that he and I work with a, a student leadership university. That's true. Uh, I worked with them from the 90s to the early 2000s. And uh, I, I've been in Israel about 20 times. One of my favorite places in the world to be. And in the Dead Sea, the reason I love it is because it's just, I mean, it's beautiful. It's uh, crystal clear water. And it's, it's sapphire blue. Uh, it's amazing. But the most amazing thing about the Dead Sea is there's no life in it, right? And how do I know this? Because that's what it says there. There's no life. It's dead. I have a PhD. I know these things, right? So it's important that you understand this. But how is it dead? Why is it dead? I'll tell you why. Because the waters come from Mount Hermon in the north in what is modern-day Lebanon. And they come down and they flow into the Sea of Galilee. And there, from those waters of the Sea of Galilee, they flow out through to the Jordan River. And the Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea region is the lowest place on earth, over 1,000 feet below sea level. Okay, And those Jordan River waters empty into the Dead Sea, and then those waters go through the Dead Sea and empty out. Well, they don't. The waters just collect there and evaporate, collect and evaporate, collect and evaporate, collect and evaporate. And over millennia, what happens is those waters empty into the Dead Sea and evaporate. All those minerals just remain and just remain and just remain. And pretty soon, those minerals make the Dead Sea inhospitable for life. Now, why am I telling you this story? Well, because I love the Dead Sea. But more importantly, I'm afraid... There are many of us who are followers of Jesus that are like the Dead Sea. God's love flows to us and then festers there. Why? Because it's never shared. 
See, God has made us to share his love with others. My friends, are you a Dead Sea Christian? Are you kind of coming here on a Sunday morning or maybe going to your Wednesday night Bible study or whatever it is that you do, and you're receiving and you're receiving and you're receiving and you're receiving? Here's what I want to tell you. Don't keep it in. Whatever God is sharing with you, share it with others. God's love is meant to be shared. God's love flows to us and then through us. I'm convinced some of us in this room need to turn away from their sin. Some of us in this room need to turn to Jesus and say yes for the first time. Some of us in the room need to uh, tap into the source of God's love and allow His love to flow to us and then through us. But whatever God has said to you this morning, can I just encourage you? Your answer needs to be yes. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want to pray over you. Your love gives us an update to life, Lord Jesus. Whatever it is that you've said to us this morning, our answer is yes. Whatever it is you want to speak, whatever it is you want us to do, however it is you want us to live, God, our answer is is yes. And if there's anybody in this room across our campuses or online who has never placed their faith in you, would right now be the moment of salvation. In everything, Lord, we give you thanks. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.